Chapter 2, The Move I just wrapped up employment at a local supermarket I hated to work at. I gave my two weeks notice, but I was expected to attend inventory as a favor by the head cool, a man who retired this May with a cool million or two. I took the scissored piece of paper I was given. All employees are expected to attend mandatory inventory Sunday, January 7th at 5 p.m. I thought I'd bring it with me as the first thing to decorate my walls. For about a decade, I'd languished under the iron boot of countless managers and supervisors. It may have been a picayune requirement that nobody really cared about, but attending inventory was my ticket to getting my job back if something failed here. Nothing would fail, though. It couldn't. The first time I'd visited Justine's black unicorn antique shop, I'd wandered among thousands of books and antiques of every kind. Paintings, New England tools, vintage board games. There was even a locked glass cabinet of rare books, mostly Americana, but there were a few old-world books with impressive lettering on time-faded bindings. One book was worth $2,000, another 1000 Most were around 150 and the least expensive in the case cost 50 There was a little black Sambo book in there. I mentioned it to Dieter, who was showing me around. Oh, that's Justine's little... His voice trailed off. He showed me the jewelry case on the other side, wheezing a little and wiping his brow. We hadn't traveled more than 30 feet around the shop yet, but I'd already seen 50 states worth of postcards, a Tudor chest, and Justine's collection of unicorns in the front of the store. The sheer bulk of the merchandise that comprised this place stunned me. Thousands of postcards, thousands of books in a hundred categories, hundreds of personal trophies. Late 90s PC at the desk, a hexagonal lamp over the desk, and all the accoutrement of a shopkeeper. Receipts, pens, a bell, an antiquated credit card receipt maker. The birdcage. How could I forget that? Justine and Dieter kept a giant white cockatoo named Wally in a cage near the front of the store. She was smart, but a prima donna, too. Whenever Dieter left her field of vision for more than 30 seconds, she'd start to squall. Sometimes my ears would ring, and I'd want nothing more to reach into the cage, grab that stupid bird, and serve her with a tennis racket in an impressive explosion of white feathers. Later, I'd learn any proximity was bad. We passed through a back corridor which held a customer bathroom, a microwave, cups, and a small fridge. UPS and wrapping materials were tucked in lower shelves among a few stacks of books. We did a 180 as we climbed up the carpeted stairway. I glanced back at the enclosed porch. It looked fine for gauging the weather someday. Upstairs I was rewarded with a great expanse of living space. Two skylights brought in cold winter sun falling through a deep blue sky. A sink and oven were on my right. A microwave sat on the couch adjoining the next room. Beyond the microwave, a door led out to another covered porch on the right. A hallway to the left of the microwave led back across the building toward two rooms on the left, the bathroom on the right, and my bedroom in the back. A large open carpeted area on my left ended at two large windows. Above the end of the back corridor, near the stairs, was the sunroom, bounded by windows ahead and to the right. A full-sized fridge was on the wall joining the sunroom and kitchen. I hated the sun, but tolerated the mild sting of UV as Dieter watched me through. I tuned him out as I mentally moved in, only vaguely hearing how he and Justine had taken a bit longer to clean here because their 1712 Main Street house had flooded two weeks ago. Dieter was the perfect host. He told me how this was my place to live and all the ways I could make it mine to enjoy. I reassured him that I took care of my messes and would do the regular maintenance around the apartment. I was thrilled that someone would deem this place worthy of me. I still hadn't seen the two side rooms in the bathroom or the bedroom. 
The bathroom was great, a spacious shower with a sliding door, a toilet, closet, and a sink with a three-part mirror. I should have realized how impressive the addition of the mirror was. This had been a garage in the 1950s, and Justine and Dieter had put in some sweat equity. Justine had mentioned in our second meeting that Dieter had a heart condition, and to look after him if I could. How blackly funny that request would become. I had no idea. Dieter cautioned me about the hard water, said it tended to discolor things, and asked me if I'd be alright drinking it. I figured I'd buy a gallon of water cheap at the local supermarket if I had to. But there was no industry in town, and I figured this was as well as I'd ever live. The two side rooms, he said, might, and he said might, be used to hold, quote, an antique or two in the coming days, and he asked, asked, if I was all right with that. I told him I was still used to living in a boarding house and that in comparison this was a palace. I was certain I could give back a little space to my employers. Justine had given my initial work a thought or two and decided it was even worth making me an employee. The bedroom was the greatest. It must have been 15 feet across on the narrow side and about 25 on the long side. There were even more windows on the right side. I set my first box of stuff down near a second narrow door. I'd like to see that ailing sociopath try to get me now. I really didn't think she'd bother me now. Yelena had been sleeping above dog waste, barely able to care for herself, let alone her dogs. But if she'd seen through my smokescreen and tracked me here, she'd have two to three rooms before she could get to me. She might set the place on fire, but Dieter showed me I could open the windows with some effort and get out on the first floor roof. The pessimist in me imagined stepping on a fire-weakened roof into an inferno of smoking, spark-riven paper. Dieter regained my attention as he wrapped up the tour, opening the narrow door to the half-bath. I stepped in for an inspection. Everything was functional, but the smell assaulted me the moment I took a faltering breath. Boiled snails without the niceties of butter, plus benzenex, asbesto-dry, plus a lingering hint of wanton taint. And this is your bathroom, Dieter said. I stepped out with a whoosh of breath and shut the door tight. I couldn't mask my displeasure as obliging as he'd been. I'd like to use that other bathroom if that's all right. Silence lay as heavy as that cloud of stink. Dieter fumbled for a nicety. By all means, but we'd prefer that you use this one. May need a little cleaning. Uh, you're young and strong. <laughs> that's why we hired you. He put enough sunshine and laughter into this to make it work. I nodded, gave him a gall yes face, and agreed, but knew my first dump was going smack dab in the middle of that awesome bathroom. How was he even going to tell? He asked if there was anything else he could do for me. I was still giddy with every sensation of open space in this apartment, and hard-pressed to imagine the cramped unit on the other side. I said I was fine and set my 1989 college radio on the windowsill. I'd fret about the chill of a dead January night later. Dieter said goodbye. I put my banker's lamp on the ground and settled in for twilight and nightfall. The moment he was gone, I assumed the throne. Here I was king. I went back to the bedroom, settled in on my mattress, and I daydreamed about the next $1,000 check. I played the old clock radio, and as the tinny music floated through... I thought of all the poor suckers who were doing inventory tonight for a quarter of my wages. Just like I used to do. So long, past life. Hello, purpose.